Hello everyone, I'd like to welcome you all to the latest installment of Hydrocarbon Processing's podcast series, The Main Column. Today we're looking at selecting the right capacity control technique for centrifugal compressors, some refinery case studies. Now this particular podcast comes from the April issue of Hydrocarbon Processing. Also, this month's podcast series is sponsored by Honeywell UOP. Now, Honeywell UOP is transforming the way the world works through innovations in energy transition technology and process that helps organizations create a cleaner, productive, and profitable future. Over the last century, Honeywell UOP's engineers and chemists have shaped the refining, petrochemical, and gas processing industries by turning laboratory science into industrial reality. UOP processes produce the fuels that power our cars, trucks, jets, and trains. They make the natural gas that heats our homes and serves as a source for power generation. They are also shaping the energy transition with their full suite of ready now solutions to help transform the environment, including sustainable aviation fuel, advanced plastics recycling, energy storage solutions, technologies to replace natural gas with hydrogen, and carbon capture offerings. You can find out more by visiting uop.honeywell.com. And now, on with the podcast. The centrifugal compressor has been the workhorse of the oil and gas industry for decades. Its applications vary from the delivery of natural gas from the wellhead to the distribution network to downstream refining and petrochemical process applications. Now, a centrifugal compressor's main objective is to compress a certain volume of gas to the desired pressure by imparting kinetic energy into the gas stream, increasing the gas's velocity using a rotating component, for example, an impeller, and then converting this kinetic energy into potential energy in the form of pressure. As a general rule of thumb, centrifugal compressors should be selected for rated discharge flow conditions of more than 300 cubic meters per hour. Now, as a first step design, the gas flow range the centrifugal compressor must deliver should be specified. Now, the maximum flow is for rated operation, while the minimum flow corresponds to turndown operation. So in general, a centrifugal compressor must be designed and selected in such a way that the devastating surge, too low flow, and choking, or too high flow, the phenomenon can be avoided with an effective safeguarding system. For example, installing a recycling a sur or surged control valve. Secondly, the fluid property or composition and the conditions, so temperature and pressure, should be specified for all critical process scenarios. The selected centrifugal compressor must cope with all potential variations. And finally, but not least importantly, the inlet and discharge pressures must be specified to determine the rated polytropic head. So as a quick guide, the maximum pressure ratio per stage is somewhere between 3 and 7, depending on the heat, capacity ratio, process application, and sealing material. Now, as a precaution, gases containing olefins, so in other words like cracked gas from a steam cracker or wet gas from an FCC unit, require lower than usual discharge temperature limits to avoid polymerization or coking, which is usually less than 100 degrees Celsius. Now, the higher the olefinic content, the lower the discharge temperature limit. Traditionally, most large centrifugal compressors have been installed with a steam turbine drive, which has allowed an additional degree of freedom for the centrifugal compressor's control system, which acted in many designs as the capacity controller for the compression system. This type of prime mover is particularly energy efficient 
when high pressure steam levels, so more than 40 barg, are available in the facility and low pressure steam levels of 2 barg to 4 barg are needed. Additionally, steam turbines offer improved reliability over motors as a steam header is less affected by power failure and does not immediately trip when overloaded. Well, from a safety perspective, a non-sparking operation is also safer for explosive atmospheres. Despite their advantages, steam turbine drivers are unsuitable for certain applications. For example, offshore centrifuge compressors or water-scarce areas where steam production is economically infeasible. However, in the case of a centrifugal compressor with a constant speed electric drive, this capacity control flexibility does not exist. In this case, what is the best way to control the flow through the compressor system? Several control schemes with different advantages and disadvantages are possible. Now design explanations behind each capacity control option available in most engineering textbook and standards are actually incomplete, focusing only on compression energy and turndown ratio. So the rest of this podcast will actually provide a better understanding of selecting the optimum capacity control technique by incorporating other design aspects using refinery case studies. So the first one is capacity control basics for a constant speed centrifugal compressor. Now generally there are two main methods to control a constant speed centrifugal compressor. Number one, there's a discharge throttling. So more compression energy is wasted via pressure drop across the discharge throttling valve with a worse turndown ratio. And two, suction throttling. So less compression energy is wasted as the closing of the suction valve reduces the inlet gas density with a better turndown ratio. Now note, this uh, podcast intentionally disregarded how the inlet guide vane or IGV positioning technique works here as its concept is somehow familiar to suction throttling but with even better energy efficiency and turndown ratio. On the surface, The discharge throttling technique sounds less efficient from the perspective of compression energy and flexibility. Why is this inefficient design still prevalent in engineering textbooks and standards, and why don't textbooks and standards remove it to prevent confusion? It must be noted that the majority of engineering textbooks and standards known do not provide any other explanations than compression energy and flexibility. Now the answer is simple. Saving compression energy and flexibility are not only reasons behind the final design. Interesting examples and explanations will be shared here. So let's look at the FCC and Coker fractionator. Now the FCC fractionator feed is a hot vapor stream from the FCC reactor and has a temperature of more than 500 degrees Celsius. Conversely, the main functions of this column are to condense the vapor products and fractionate them into various product fractions. Using a suction throttling valve is not an issue in terms of column operation as a slight increase in column pressure, typically less than 2.5 bar, does not negatively affect product recovery. It actually helps a little if only the fractionator is considered. Now this application can fully benefit from the suction throttling design. And the same design logic applies to a similar application such as a delayed coker fractionator where feed quenching is required rather than flashing. Next, we're gonna look at the crude distillation unit, or CDU. Typically, the crude feed is heated to 340 to 390 degrees Celsius, depending on the design, to flash as much diesel as possible from the atmospheric residue. 
Losing too much diesel in the atmospheric residue would result in a loss of yield and therefore profit as the diesel fraction in the atmospheric residue will be recovered with the vacuum gas oil and cracked into lower value products in the downstream conversion units. So this problem will worsen if there is no diesel recovery section in the vacuum distillation unit. Now, if the conversion unit is an FCC unit, 60 to 70% of the remnant diesel will end up as a low value light cycle oil. Similarly, hydrocracking processes will convert 30 to 40% of the remaining diesel into lower value products, such as off-gas, LPG, or naphtha. Now, a well-designed crude distillation unit and vacuum distillation unit produces FCC or hydrocracker feed streams containing less than 5 volume percent diesel boiling range material. Therefore, maintaining a low and stable flash zone pressure, typically anywhere from 2.1 to 2.5 bar, a total pressure, is crucial to achieving this goal. Any slight increase in the pressure drop upstream of the overhead compressor would add to the flash zone pressure. Consequently, a suction throttling valve to control the overhead compressor capacity might not be the best choice for this application. Any increase in the column top pressure, and therefore the flash zone pressure, increases the heater outlet temperature and energy required to maintain the desired diesel atmospheric residue cut point. More diesel will be lost into the atmospheric residue if the crude heater outlet temperature is held constant. Increasing the crude heater outlet temperature has operationally and metallurgically limitations that may result in a more complicated and expensive heater design to ensure acceptable coking and corrosion rates, and fired heaters are generally expensive equipment. And now the last unit we're going to look at is the hydrocracker. So a typical heavy oil hydrocracker requires a large volume of circulating hydrogen, usually between 1,000 to 2,000 nominal cubic meters per cubic meters of liquid feed, to ensure the minimum hydrogen partial pressure, good heat removal, acceptable catalyst deactivation rate, and good product qualities. Now this circulating hydrogen flow, which is also known as recycled gas, carries heat from the fired heater to raise the combined feed temperature at the outlet of the reactor to initiate hydrotreating and hydrocracking reactions and acts as a heat sink after the desired chemical reactions propagate. A multiple bed reactor scheme is widely adopted as an industry standard to better control the temperature rise across each catalyst bed by injecting quench gas between each reactor bed. Now obviously, accurate control of recycling gas and quench flows is critical here. So for example, an abnormally low recycled gas flow can cause coking of the catalyst and potential tube ruptures in the fired heater, while an inadequate quench flow will increase the risk of a temperature excursion. Since recycled gas and quench flows are delivered by the same heavy-duty centrifugal compressor, it is necessary to place the flow sensors and control valves near their dedicated destinations. As such, the centrifugal compressor capacity control choice is dictated by the system functionality here. Now note, the same logic also applies to other hydroprocessing units such as a diesel hydrotreater. Now some takeaways here is that popular arguments such as compression energy and flexibility are not the only key considerations when designing a capacity control system for centrifugal compressors. A holistic design approach is essential to ensure good operability, reliability, energy efficiency, and flexibility of the overall system. Again, we want to thank you for listening to this latest installment of Hydrocarbon Processing's podcast series, The Main Column. And of course, we want to thank our sponsor for The Main Column podcast, 
and of course that's Honeywell UOP. You can find out more about Honeywell UOP by visiting uop.honeywell.com.